Hello, church. Thank you for listening to the Gallery Church Podcast. We're in a series based upon the book of Colossians. We are attempting to study this letter to this gathering of people so that we can learn from them and increase in our faith, hope, and love in our city at this time. We hope this is a blessing to you. And if we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out and let's get back to the podcast. Good morning, everybody. I'm Sarah. It's so good to be here with all of you. I'll be reading the Old, script, Old Testament today, and it's coming from Psalm 85, verses 8 through 13. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet it together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Morning, everybody. I'm Daniel. I'm going to be reading from uh, Colossians 1, 3 to 14. Yep. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We are uh, going to, I don't know, I'm gonna give you a lot of information but I don't want it to feel overly academic but I need to, I need to set a foundation for us. Let me share with you part of my frustration to get us started. The, the part of my frustration is, is that we have a varying degree of um, understanding of the Bible, like even how it fits. Like why is a section of it called old and another called new? And, and why are there all these different names and why does some of them have a, a numer, uh, like a Roman numeral in front of them? And, and so there's so much information that I'm not sure where we all are. So I don't want to cause one of you frustration while I'm trying to bring another one along. And that's part 
part of the tension in teaching. And so like this past week in our, my studies for this, this walk through Colossians and the journey about authority that I, I have as an overarching umbrella for the year, I was highly frustrated in Proverbs. Has any of you ever read Proverbs and walked away like, wow, that, like, like you weren't uplifted? I, I walked away from Proverbs chapter 24. When you get to this one verse in there, it says, the righteous will fall seven times, but then they will be raised. And then it says, the wicked will fall, to, uh, will, will, will fall after their first encounter to their doom. And I'm sitting here thinking, why do the righteous fall seven times? Like, why can't the righteous not fall? Like, it just started making, like, this, my thinking was, it sounds great because we have this idea of this resurrection life. Like, let me fall, and the Lord's going to give me the strength to get up. But I'm like, seven. And then I was like, wait a minute, it's actually worse than seven. Because in the Old Testament, the number seven actually has a layered meaning because they are a metaphorical imagery people. And the number seven in the Old Testament actually has more of an infinity, like complete, total, all the time, like never ending, like, like this perfection number. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I know I fall, I've fallen at least seven times in my life. Now this, I will not fall anymore. I'm like, no, that's not the case. There's an infinite number of fallings and an infinite number of resurrections because of our faith. And when I started thinking about that, it took me to the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount ends with a, with a story, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I think I know. But it's about storms. Like we're in hurricane season right now. And I think it's Fionn that's kind of dropping a lot of rain right now in parts of the, tro- in the, in the, in the Gulf area. And it's getting ready to head out to the poor people of Bermuda. So I'm sitting here thinking about storms. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, there are storms and if you've been wise, you've built your house on a rock. But if you've been unwise, you built your house on the sand. Because what is the constant? Storms, right? No matter whether you have faith in Jesus or you have no faith in Jesus, you're susceptible to what? Storms. The falling, like the, the world, the earth, all this. And so part of the problem for us in, in our church family is that many of us come from multiple different denominations. A lot of us come from different types of the ways that you want your pastor to approach you, to talk to you, to interact with you. And we're trying to find a way to say, let's get to know each other so that we can get to know him without any distractions. Because here's the thing. Storms are coming to all of us. Some of us have already felt it. There's even some of you sitting in the room right now where it's like, I just said that and your stories are coming rushing to my mind because I know the loss that you've experienced. I know the way that this world and the pain of this world has touched you. And others of us, I don't know your story yet, but if, I, if we had a moment to stand up and talk, we would, we would be able to say, yes, there has been pain in my life and moments for all of that. And so last week when we ended our teaching, I gave you a challenge. Did any of you do the challenge? Please, somebody raise their hand. Anybody? Nobody? Oh, all right. Yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a halfway. Some of you, any of you even remember the challenge I gave you? The challenge at the end of the teaching went something like this. Notice the voices and the images that are, dry, are, 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 are coming after your attention this week. Just notice them. Take mention of them, write them down, document the, the things that people are telling you you need in your life. 
Um, one of the things that I documented was the fact that um, I'm a huge Marvel movie fan, lover, all right, so um, please, you know, don't turn it off if you're watching online and you think I'm now heathen. Or, I, I'm, a, I'm a phase one fan, phase two, phase three. I'm not quite really all into yet, but one of the things I noticed this week that the, that the, that the recent Thor movie said to me was that the opening scene, prayer doesn't work. Gods are not paying attention. You pray for healing and your children still die. Like that's the message at the beginning. Sorry if I ruined it for you. Um, wow, I should have said spoiler alert. Clug your ears, you don't want to. But there's an opening scene that, that Christian Bale performs to near perfection um, uh, of, of the way in which the message to the audience is, yes, this is a movie about gods because that's what Thor plays in the film. But yet the subtle thing is, is how many of you were sitting there listening like, wow, is that really what happens in prayer and eternity and all of that? And so there's this message in our entertainment that prayer doesn't work. That's what I heard this week. Then I was overwhelmed by the number of images where people were telling me that I needed to go have ice sculpting done to my body. I don't know, it was like where you have things frozen and things fall off. Like, I don't know how many times I saw a commercial was telling me that I should go literally freeze my fat. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's a thing, and I guess that it, it, it could be beneficial. So obviously, it's not quick enough for me to eat and change patterns. I just need to go freeze it off. Um, so there's a body image thing that I heard this week. And so when I tell you guys I want us to take notes of the messages that you're receiving, I really do want us to take note. We need to document what are people telling me, because you might not be aware, but it is probably influencing our thinking. And so I've also, at the beginning of our teachings, uh, literally over the last 12 weeks, been offering questions at the beginning, and then we've talked about them and interacted. I'm going to save that now for the end for this particular week. So three weeks ago, when I was introducing Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, I mentioned to us as a church that Paul had this overwhelming, strong, powerful message that is layered upon layered upon layered upon layered when he said, grace and peace be with you. We, we went to Ezekiel chapter 34 to see the heart beat behind the revelation of how much grace God has given us and how much he wants to bring shalom, true peace, layered peace, not just simple peace, but peace between people, war stopping. Um, there's like... Uh, uh, people around the world right now that don't have access to clean drinking water in this day and time is just ridiculous. Like there's, there's no reason with the global economy and the power and the ingenuity that is available to us that, that these things can't be solved. And what God is saying through his grace that he's brought to us, you will have peace. And so we're going to be taking a lot of time to show in these next four chapters of the, the letter that we call Colossians how grace and peace is developed throughout all of this. And then last week I shared with you that Paul's number one greatest desire for us, you remember? Christian maturity. Yes. Yeah. All right, now we're tracking. All right, so Christian maturity. That's what this whole letter is about, is Paul saying to them, let me tell you what maturity is like. And I shared with you my tension 
over the fact that so much of our faith right now is being impacted by what other Christians are doing, that there's a large populace in the church right now that is, that is even questioning, do I even want to call myself a Christian? What can I do to separate from what I know is not Jesus so do I just tell people I'm a Jesus follower or that I have faith or that I believe in God, but do I want to associate myself with Christianity? And last week I challenged us and I said, I want to lead us to reclaim the word because in its purest form, Christians look like Jesus and not the world. And that has changed. And we need to make sure under our watch that it doesn't. So now this week, I want to I lay a little bit different foundation as we get into Colossians chapter 1 and we go back to the verses we read last week and that Daniel read for us again this week and talk about the Old Testament Psalm 85 that Sarah read for us because it is, it is laying a foundation for you and I that I believe can be encouraging to us to know when do we follow authority and when do we subvert it. When and how? And, and, and if there's bad authority in my life, how do I, like Jesus, fight against authority? What does that look like? And how do we get there? And I believe that's here. But this week, I also believe there's another word that summarizes the way that Paul is talking to this church. And Paul's desire for them is that they would have remarkable Christian instinct. Think about that just for a moment. Let that word rest on you. It's not just maturity. It's maturity that has instincts in it. So here, for instance, um, I, I love nature shows. Anybody in here also like nature? Okay, good. Okay, so I can connect with you. Um, there are moments in nature that speak volumes to the way that God has designed us. So for instance, there can be a family of ducks all right? And usually the dad doesn't necessarily seem like he does a whole lot, right? And so that is pretty much true in all of humanity, right? <laughs> Moms get the load, right? Moms have the burden and they carry so much of that load, not just for nine to 10 months, they carry it throughout all of their children's lives, even when they're older. My mom would testify to that. Very likely she's online right now texting me saying, yes, son, you are still, I'm you're still your mother duck, right? And so but what will happen is, is a mama duck will keep a, 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 their, her little brood, or little, like all the little baby ducklings, in a small water area as they're growing and teach them things instinctually. But then have you ever noticed that every now and then a mother duck and all of her little ducklings cross a very dangerous highway to get to a larger body of water? I'm sitting here thinking, why? But yet... A lot of communities now know those migratory patterns and literally will stop traffic so that everybody can get out to watch a mama duck instinctually, annually, at the same time of the year, take those little ducklings to another water source that's going to allow them to flourish into their fullest capacity. We've seen that recently. We love to go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and we're now seeing that with sea turtle population. Like the mama turtles come up, bury like a gazillion eggs in the sand, hoping that a few survive, right? That's, I'm, like, I'm, I'm glad it doesn't work that way in our humanity. But instinctually, the local government and the Outer Banks of North Carolina know that the turtles are coming. They know where they've laid their eggs. 
They stake them out so that nobody disrupts them, but then they also know when they're going to hatch so that they can prepare these nice little runways and protect them from the seagulls to get as many of them back into the ocean because the mama turtle instinctually knew where to go, how deep to put the eggs in the sand to give the baby turtles a chance to get back into the ocean so that they can survive. Instinct. Some of you play sports, and you know that instincts help. You can love football all you want to, but if you don't have game smarts, your coach can draw X's and O's and say run an out pattern or hit the, the, the gap between the center and the guard. And if you don't have good instincts in sports, you don't make it very far. How many men, ladies, notice, how many men tell stories of their high school sports victories? You want to know why? Because they didn't have the instinct to play at the college level, <laughs> Right? And so, and we don't have the instinct to play at the college level, so therefore we never can tell professional football stories or professional baseball stories. Because a lot of us were really good in t-ball, and a lot of us were really good in Little League, but something happened along the way where we just couldn't either physically or instinctually, we just didn't know where to go and be where we needed to be to play at a whole nother level. And so this is what I feel like Paul is saying to the church in Colossae. I want you to be mature, but I also want you, because listen, he's been praising them in this chapter for their testimony of faithfulness to Jesus, for the ways in which the, that Jesus is growing amongst them for the first time. This isn't a city that's had the church in it for generations upon generations where grandparents pass it on to their children and children to their grandchildren. There's not been a history of this faithfulness yet. This is the original church in an originally hostile environment. And Paul is saying to them, you're doing well, but let's improve those instincts because let me tell you what's coming. Storms. And if you don't have the instincts, you're going to find yourself in the storm and you're not going to know what to do. And those storms come up crazy fast, don't they? Have you been in your office, wherever you work, and having a great day until somebody steps into your office? Have you ever been to a place where you were having a great time with your family until somebody in your family happened to bring up the one subject matter that changed the course of your family vacation? Have you ever been in a moment where you were driving and somebody in their car did something that aggravated you and, and it, that storm changed your personality in the car just for a moment to things you said and did and wanted to do to the other human being and the other, like they are going to come. And if our instincts aren't where they need to be, then the things that happen to us, they are not going to stop. But yet the choices we can make Based upon the influences in our life, we will have the instinct in those moments to look like Jesus. And here's something I want to say to all of you. And I can tell by the look on some of your faces that you're tracking with me. Others of you, you're still struggling to follow along. And others of you may not have slept. So let me just help us with this just for a minute. Not everybody needs to have the ministry of Paul. But all of us have a call to go and look like Jesus. So your prayer to tomorrow morning on Monday, or some of you might be going to work today. Your prayer when you go to work is, Jesus, how would you do my job? You don't need to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because he, you're already doing. 
what it is that you're probably meant to do. With the freedom to do it wherever you want to do it, he just wants you to do it like him. But many of us don't do it like him because we think we're waiting for a moment for God to tell us something like Paul so that we can sell everything we have to move to another part of the world and share the gospel with somebody. What he's just saying, would you wake up and go to work as an accountant and be an accountant as best you think Jesus would do it? Or would you go to work and do the classified information, whatever you are doing, that you can never tell us what you do because of where we live? And so many of you have jobs that sound very interesting and, and spy-like, you know? It's like, uh, but yet, how would Jesus do your job? That's what he wants us to wake up with, and that's what Paul is saying in laying a foundation to these people um, in this writing. And so let me come back to Colossians chapter 1 just for a moment. Let me ask a question and I want a response. Who is Paul, to whom is Paul writing? Okay, church, Christians? No, he's not writing to Jesus. Who is Paul writing to whom? These are all right answers. Minus Jesus. He was writing under the power of Jesus. Yeah, okay, possibly future generations. Who is Paul writing to? Saints. Saints, yes. Who else is he writing to? Can I give you a major hint? It's the title of the book. Colossians. He's writing to the Colossian saints, the Colossian believers, the Colossian Christians. And I'm pointing this out for a very big reason. He had a target audience. He knows exactly who he's writing to. Much like Luke, who's mentioned in chapter 4, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks, when he wrote his gospel and he wrote the letter that we refer to as Acts, do you know who, to whom he was writing those letters? Just a singular individual, and his name was Theophilus. You can look at Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1 and find out because he had such a great love for Theophilus, he wrote him a good news letter about what he had seen in Jesus Christ. And because he loved Theophilus, he wanted Theophilus to understand what Jesus coming into the world was actually doing in the world, and that's the acts of the early church. And he had a target audience of Theophilus. And these things are vitally important for you and I because the letter was written to whom? The Colossians. Who are we? We are Baltimoreans. Okay? I think this is, I need to point this out because there are things that were influencing the Colossians that are different than the things that influence the Baltimoreans. Now, because of the way that many of us have been trained how to handle the Bible, we automatically assume that every single word on every single page was written with you in mind. We need to be very careful if that is our way of interpreting the scriptures. Now, that's pretty much all I'm going to say on that subject today because I want you to hang tight because we're heading in a direction of how we study the Bible and the ways that you and I can understand what it is that's being said. But the one thing that we have in common with the church in Colossae that was receiving this letter from Paul is he was writing to them as Christians, and we are Christians in Baltimore, and they were Christians in Colossae. And so 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, my prayer is, is that there's something that you and I can grow to learn because you and I need to be mature. You and I need to have instincts in our faith in Jesus Christ. But we are not Colossians, but we are Christians. And I believe that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae on his terms. We cannot change Paul's motivation. The danger a lot of times is when you and I read literature is for us to make assumptions about the writer, to, make, to project ourselves onto the intent of what was being said or what was being done. And what happens when you and I put, listen to Paul on his terms, this is when we hear what he intended only for the church in Colossae. And because we understand what he intended for them, there are overtones, things that could be unexpected that you and I can learn. There could be echoes that, that go forward in human history that we can tie ourselves into, but we can't go to his letter and change what his perspective was or what his motivations were, because then that we could, we could fall into all kinds of heresies that way. There's so many things that we could get to that's like, well, the Holy Spirit was leading Paul to write this for the benefit of the Colossae church so that you and I could in the future benefit. But if we get that out of order, there's so many ways in which you can see why, why there's so many denominations. Because people have argued about who to whom and who the authors were writing to and ways that we interpret passages and why some denominations elevate certain verses over other verses. Therefore, they say, well, we can't be apart. Much like in the last 100 years, there were churches that looked like me that were, were being forced to integrate and so rather than giving somebody with darker skin a position of authority in the church, they're like, well, you're, you can use your gifts in the church, but you can't be an elder or a bishop. And so we went from having a Methodist church to having an African Methodist church because the Methodist church refused to allow to have African bishops in it. And so here's the thing. They were using scripture to support their point, but it wasn't the truth of that scripture. And if we're not careful... You and I can, in our generation, put up a wall where we don't need to put up a wall. And so I believe there's two journeys that we're going to be on every week. Two journeys we're going to be on every week. We're going to be on a historical journey and a pastoral journey. And I need you to understand the difference. Because if we go down one road without the other, we're going to be in serious trouble. Because if we don't understand the history of the church in Colossae, the history of the first century church, we lose sight of the fact that Paul was in prison when he was writing this. We, don't, we lose sight of the fact that Rome was putting Christians in prison and using them as bait and gladiator games. And we lose sight of the first century moment. You and I are going to miss out on so many layers of echoing truths that are going to be projected into our current situation. What was Paul? Who was Paul? What did he know? What, what, what scriptures in the Old Testament did he go back to? Because guys, listen, Paul was an Old Testament expert from his previous occupation as a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament better than anybody sitting in this room. And how did he use it? What did he go back to? Why have I used Ezekiel 34? Why did we go to Psalms 85? Why are these verses the ones that we're choosing to bring forward because we're in the letter to the Colossae people? 
It's because there's, own, there's, the, there's the background of what Paul is bringing from a historical standpoint. But here is the problem. The problem is, is that I have to make it pastoral. You're sitting here because you're giving me a chance to pastor you. To look at the history of Colossae and the facts around the writing and the letter and the interpretation and all the ways that it has been translated into forms of English from its original language. And you're asking me, many of you, tell me what this means so that I can be mature in Jesus Christ. Tell me what this means so I can have good instincts. Some of you naturally trust. Others of you are like, you, you trust and verify. And then others of you do no trusting. But that's okay. There's room for us all to be here in the room together. Because at some point in time, the work of a pastor, which I'm not saying the position, there's a, there's a, the New Testament is full of places where it talks about the church being given gifts. And then one of the gifts to the church is a pastoring gift. And that pastoring gift is a way to say, let's bring the truth of Jesus into our first, into our, our context so that we know what it looks like to look and act and, and to be like Jesus Christ. And so the, both journeys, I believe, going back to the original and then returning to our time is, a, is an very, very, very important work. And I'm going to ask selfishly over the course of this year that you, play, you pray highly intentionally for me as well as our elders that will be teaching and some of our guests that are going to be coming in to teach this text to us, because I don't want you just to know the history and the facts. I want it to be pastoral. I want us to know, what does this mean for me today? What, it, what, it, what does it mean for me to look like Jesus in my generation? Because we can find that as we go through this letter. We need to become mature Christians with great instincts. And I think that we would all agree. We need to grow in our knowledge of who God is and what he's done in and through Jesus Christ for us and how we can express our gratitude in our worship and in our obedient, intentional living lifestyle. Let me just say that one more time. He has done for us beyond craziest imagination stuff in Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that we can come to church, sit in this and leave and it not feel amazing. Number one, I don't want it to be all about feelings, but if somebody saved your life from something, you would probably feel it. Okay. I want you just to grasp that just for a minute. And if, if we understand what great lengths of grace and the effort of peace that God is doing on our behalf, we're going to feel it. And my job is to clearly communicate that to us in such a way that it changes the way we live and it's not just good head knowledge. Because we're not Christians unless we look and act like Jesus. We're not Christians just because we've memorized the 66 books of the Bible. We're not Christians because we know the Old Testament versus the New Testament. We're not Christians because we can name the disciples or we can name certain aspects of, of faith in Scripture. We are Christians because we've heard and understood, therefore we go act in the world like Jesus. Hearing and understanding is a huge part of this. The other thing that I think we need to point out before we jump into this letter to the Colossian believers is this very important fact. This is historical. Paul never visited the church in Colossae. He only did two things for them. 
that caused their flourishing in maturity and instincts. And they're both mentioned in chapter 1. He prayed for them, and he wrote them letters. Just imagine, just for a minute, that the only thing you got from me was a weekly letter. And somebody just stood up here and read to you my prayers for you and my love for you and my encouragement in Jesus Christ. How long would you stay involved? I just want you to hear, like, Epaphras was doing a great job of teaching. He was getting coaching and maturity from um, mentors like Paul in his life. But he also had an amazing connection to the Holy Spirit of the living God that was empowering him to do for the first time in a group of people something that had not been done in that region. And I think we need to remember that. But imagine for a moment being in a room full of people that believed that just through prayer and a loving mentor that was sending letters, that was all they needed to follow after Christ in an environment where they were being hauled off to prison, being denied food, having to give up their land and house, and, and, if, and in many occasions were being taken into the arenas and sacrificed in gladiator events. And all they had was a man praying for them and letters that were arriving. I, we have a lot of comforts. We have a great room. We have great musicians and technology and things like that. Like our live stream, I believe, is actually working right now. So there's so many, we have air conditioning. And I saved you guys today from freezing to death because my wife turned it down to like 65 degrees when we got here. And I was like, wow, it's getting cold in here. And I bumped it back. Like, I protected you. I'm pastoring you. Right? So what we're finding, though, is, is that in our generation, it's become so easy and comfortable to grow in our knowledge, but we're not understanding it to the point of powerful motivation. And that's not for all of us, but that's for some of us. We need to continue to learn what it look like to instinctually respond. So we're going to be looking next week at what Paul understood about Israel. We're going to be looking in the weeks to come about the other ways that the Old Testament prophets are impacting Colossians chapter 1 in the verses that we have not read to yet into Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the belief that Jesus was the Messiah from Israel to the world. Like, that's important. It meant something to Paul that was changing things in that first century. But a lot of us are like, why do I, why? Jesus is my Lord. Why do I need him to be the Messiah of the nation of Israel? There's things that we need to understand so that the power of the Holy Spirit can do something in us in our generation to do something powerful. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of that in the, in the, in the weeks to come. We're going to be looking at the way that they relied on the Holy Spirit and the things they did as a church together and that it wasn't one or the other. They did it together. I referenced the public reading of the letter. Like us sitting around and having scriptures read to us is an important aspect of what we do because it's in the corporate reading, the corporate discussion, the corporate understanding of the ways that we start to interact over it that you and I can get the confirmation of what the Lord is saying to us in our generation. I can't just do it by myself. I should not just be studying scriptures on my own. 
and coming up with my own conclusions and keeping it to myself. We should be reading it together. We should be discussing it together. And it's in those moments through gentle love and compassion that we can correct one another, that we can encourage one another. Because here's the truth, guys. We're going to read something and we're not all going to come to their same conclusions. And some of us are going to read it with our desire in mind, and we're going to try to force it to say what our desire wants it to say. When it, what the, if we go down that road, we're going to go down a road that's not going to look like Jesus. And the only way we can do that is under the authority of what God has established for us through the Spirit, through the church, and through the way that God is leading the church through leaders. And so we're going to have to figure that out. Paul intended for the letter to be read out loud. Yes, later on, Paul tells Timothy, now you need to test what you're hearing. And he's not saying blind obedience. You shouldn't just hear what I say today and be like, okay, you need to test it. How do you test something? You go into a lab and you put it to practice. And if it doesn't work, you're like, wait a minute, I was just told something that's wrong. Like, you and I have got to figure out what practicing our faith looks like, because the truth is, it's a family thing, not an individual thing. So nothing that we discuss from a historical or pastoral um, perspective will make sense unless you and I begin to trust that there is a Holy Spirit. There's been a lot written in the last couple of years from pastors in my age bracket because we are pastoring you in response to the generation that pastored us. Does that make sense? And I grew up in a denomination underneath of a Baptist umbrella that hardly ever taught on the Holy Spirit. Some of you might come from that similar tradition. Others of you come from traditions where the Holy Spirit is talked about every week, but that's not all of our story. So I grew up thinking Father, Son, Holy Bible versus Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because we, we talked a lot about God and Jesus and you better be submissive to the authority of the Bible. And there were actually times where as a child with the rod of correction, the Bible was in one hand and the rod that was really a stick was used for correcting. And so for, for, to me, when people would raise a Bible, I would flinch. And when people would raise a stick, I would flinch. That's how I was raised. And I don't know how you were raised, but you and I have got to find the truth in our generation, what it looks like to look like and act like Jesus Christ. And so I want us to go in that direction. We need to understand that that the Spirit of God was working in Epaphras in such a way for the first time. Like, he was the first. Like, I am probably the 100,000th pastor to be in Baltimore. Epaphras was the first. And the Spirit of God was giving him what he needed for his church. The only thing I have in, commerce with, in, con, in common, thank you, the only thing I have in common with Epaphras is the Holy Spirit. There's so many differences for his life and my life, but we have the same spirit that's saying, teach the church to obey, to understand and look like Jesus. And that's what we've got to continue to find. I love how in verse 10 it says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Do you hear that? Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Do you? But I want you to hear this. The righteous fall seven times. 
You honoring and pleasing the Lord doesn't mean you live your life with perfection. You honoring and pleasing the Lord is letting resurrection win and not quitting. Because through the maturity in Jesus Christ, yes, I believe our instincts can grow. Yes, I believe we can become more and more mature where we're not making some of the mistakes we would have two or three years ago. But church, we need to give ourselves some grace. The Lord understands that we are going to go through all kinds of trials and tests, but we need to keep persevering through those. And then he goes on to say, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And we'll talk about those good fruits. But listen to what Psalms 85 says to us. I'm just going to summarize it, going back to what Sarah read. Our behavior is good fruit. Our behavior produces good fruit. It was an early echo of what Jesus says to his disciples. In the end, I'm going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. So you and I have a chance to have faithful behavior and produce good fruit, and our instincts will move us towards that. Psalms 85 put it, steadfast love, truth, righteousness, shalom, all connected like righteousness, kissing, peace. Like that's pretty intimate. That's, that's, that's a metaphorical, beautiful picture of the shalom, the, like when we realize the grace of God meets the peace of God, what it looks like in our life, that is what's going to generate in us this new fruit where most of the time when the stimulus hits us, we would rather be angry or selfish or I, I, I've earned what I have. I don't need to share it. The, the image of God's grace and, and then the, the bringing of his peace is like, no, I'm not going to be selfish. God has entrusted me with this. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate right now. What's going on in their world that they're antagonizing me right now? It's like, it's like shifting the thinking. And then we understand why Paul says to the church in Colossae to guard your mind. Think about the thoughts that are in your head. Where are they coming from? Are you letting the truth win out? Or are you letting lies win out? So there's so many places that we need to go. And as I, as I close this for right now, I need to say something to some of you, because I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. But, and if it's not been clear, Jesus changes things. It doesn't mean your life is perfect. And if you've had pastors like me promise you, well, you give your life to Jesus and there's going to be a red carpet rolled out in front of you and you're going to be prosperous in all ways. You know, you're going to have the right relationships. You're going to have a restored family. You're going to get all the money in the world that you need and extra. If you've been promised things in this world that mean that there's no storms in your life, please forgive us. Because just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that automatically all of the spiritual weather systems around that want to wreak havoc on you go away. But Jesus is the way. He was the way in the Old Testament, speaking of Messiah and peace and, and the coming of God's grace. He was the manifestation of that. He is the fresh start. He's the one that brings us life. He's the one that gives us the ability to resurrect after a storm has knocked us down. He came in this world to set us free from sin. He came in this world to set us free from death. And he did that through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And then he went away 
Because he said, is it's better for me to send the Spirit to you so that when you are coming under the same pressures that I faced, you will have life. You will have it to the full. And so today I just want to say to some of you in here, do you need to have that new life in Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked for that new life in Jesus Christ? Because it is a very simple way for us to just confess that all you need to say is, Jesus, I give you my life. All you need is just to confess, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, you are Lord. It's the starting point of inviting him into the chaos that this world is inflicting on us and him wanting to bring grace and peace in that proclamation to you. And so today, are there any of you in here that just need to say, Jesus, I give you my life? Are there any of you even listening online right now that need to say, Jesus, I give you my life? Jesus, you really are my Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have a journey to historical truth. We have a pastoral journey, a labor of saying, how does this minister to us today? Father, give us strength for the journey. Father, for my brothers and sisters that are struggling and are feeling weak and they're not sure they have it in them for another journey, Lord, sustain them. Be their strength. Father, for those that are excited and are ready for a journey, Lord, would their enthusiasm, would their faith, would their hope, would their love be the encouragement that the rest of us need to come around and, 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 and rally around that enthusiasm? Father, I thank you that we are a family that we can draw on one another. And Father, I pray for those today that actually just prayed or, or, will, or will be praying out loud that they've given you their life. Father, that is the greatest thing that they could ever say. Those words are powerful words. They bring with it all of the truth of your grace, all of the truth of your peace. And so Lord, would you continue to show us how to encourage one another from those first steps to the ones that have been journeying with you for decades. Lord, could we be a place for those that are taking the first and those that have taken a million steps can find your grace and your peace together and be a place of hope and encouragement to one another. So Father, we thank you so much for the example of Paul. Father, would you increase our faith? Would we trust your spirit? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only he can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.